Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 354, Higher Education Games by Major. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers, but especially our brand new Patreon backer, Lance Morgan. Lance, my friend, you rock. All right, everybody, we are back and we are talking about the latest and greatest in higher education games. Anthony and I are now working in higher education at University Systems. And turns out there are a lot of great games that can support and even enhance your very own higher education based upon playing board games. So we have in our feature review the best games for higher education based on their particular major. So whether you've attended a college or university or never attended at all, playing board games turns out to be highly educational. Right, Anthony? Yeah. Who knew? I don't know. <laughs> and it was funny because you and I were both basically making giant lists of games to use in classrooms at yes. the same time. So we're like, well, we have to do the pot, an episode now. <laughs> we, we both did a tremendous amount of work for another thing. Yes. Let's use it here. This is interesting. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Who knew that actually work life and game life could actually support each other nonetheless? But as avid gamers, we're always looking for opportunities to get games out there. So again, I think we have a dynamic and interesting list of games that would fit appropriately in particular majors. And Anthony and I will go into more detail about how we think those games could be possibly best utilized out there in the particular field of study that you might be in or interested in. And maybe it gives you some insight on if that major or that career is for you. But that will be our feature review. So, Anthony, again, always thankful for our Patreon backers supporting us so we could bring everyone a brand new episode. But let's talk about something that is most directly related to what's going on at this time of year. You know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, there's a lot of good stuff going on. What's our question of the week? All right. A little bit of a tease there of our question uh-huh, of the week. Uh-huh. I did a thing. Uh, all right. So we asked everybody this week, what is the best sale you ever got on a game? Specifically, we asked them on Black Friday because that's yeah. where our minds are all at. <laughs> so what, what did you get for cheap? Uh, so we got some good answers here. Uh, Matt mentions picking up Pillars of the Earth for $1 at Barnes & Noble in their last chance prices. Oh, so. That's pretty good. That's very good. <laughs> Got to roll with that, that gentleman there. Yeah, honestly, if you get anything that's worth playing at the Barnes & Noble sale and it gets down to a dollar, or I guess $2 now or whatever they do, yeah. you win. You're, you're you right win all there. the things. Yep. Um, Andrew mentions getting the Gallerist for $39 US, uh, 55 Australia, <laughs> shipped to Australia. Which So first you're like, 39 I don't know, but shipped to Australia where everything costs more anyways because you got to get it over there. Yeah. Um, seems like a pretty good deal. And that's, that's a great an game, Andrew. And that's an incredible deal for a Vitello starter game that usually run over $100. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, Martin mentions getting Blue Lagoon. Reiner Knizia's, well, I can't say latest because nice. he has a new game every 37 minutes, but <laughs> fairly recent in the last three years uh, at yeah. Goodwill for $3. Oh, wow. So, wow. Uh, those goodwill posts, man, I, I see those sometimes and I think that can't be real, but it's only cause I've never found something at the goodwill <laughs> for $3. If I did, sure. and apparently it happens, I, I just, I'm like, who's bringing like big, like near mint copies of board games to goodwill. 
sad. I don't know. It's sad, I tell you. It is very sad. Um, Roddy mentions getting Abomination at Barnes & Noble for $13, which would be like 75% off, I think. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, Amanda mentions getting Star Wars Epic Duels in a Generosity Chain. Um, It actually (laughs) mentions that they flipped it for $250 when they were done playing. So that is a very out-of-print Star Wars game that people look for. Um, So, yeah, a lot of good answers there. Uh, I was racking my brain on this one because I'm not... I'm not a thrifty game buyer. I'm just like, <laughs> I want that game. I'm going to buy that game. Um, so I was trying to think like, what did I get that was actually inexpensive? My copy of Kingdom Death Monster that I've yet to actually do anything with, I did get used at uh-huh. a local game store. It was still expensive, but only a little over $100, I think, instead sure. of the typical $300. I, I guess that I'm sure I have a better deal here somewhere. I just can't think of it. Because again, I'm not good at this. <laughs> I've spent well, a lot you- of money on games. You did get a, a couple of good deals. I mean, they're not sales, but you did get a couple of good deals at the auctions, right? So right, right, right. right. Yeah, I got Space Hulk for like forty bucks. That's that's crazy. probably a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think auctions have always been a use. I guess I'm gonna I'm <laughs> I'm gonna do the way back when. Way back <laughs> when auctions were cool and board games actually were relatively unknown and there was a glut of games i I got several games i got war of the ring at a reasonable price i got Mm -hmm. a early version of um glory to rome at a very inexpensive price i got a lot of games in that barnes and noble again is another way back situation where i remember every time they used to run a barnes and noble sale like just stalking their web page like waiting for or board game geek waiting for that to pop up and then like running out to Barnes and Noble or hitting as many as possible. And they always used to have like incredible sales because they didn't know what they were selling. So the games would like hit the market and be like 50% off to start, which is better than anything online, and then go down to 75% and $2. And I have several dozen stories of just like either friends or I getting very good deals on those Barnes and Noble sale. And then I think about... Yeah, I want to say about two years or more ago, Barnes and Noble stopped doing that. Like mm-hmm. they stopped bringing in like large section of games and they still have some games. But at this point, it's very much like, oh, here's a couple of games. It's 40 percent off or 35 percent off. And that's as low as it's going to go. So it's not as good as it once was. I guess online sales, it used to be back in the day again, another back in the day situation where Black Friday, the different websites like Miniature Market and Cool Stuff Inc. used to run like insane, wonderful sales to the point where they would crash their own servers. And we would just be like, I can't get in. I can't get in. I can't get in. Are you in? Did you get in? Can you get in? And like your cart would fill up and then it would crash or your cart would fill up and then everything was already taken. It was just, it was an insane situation, but the sales were so incredibly good back then and I, and again i would have to really rack my brain hard to remember how good they were because now when sales come up whether it's on amazon or some of the other site sites it's usually like oh that's an okay game at like 35 percent off or like that's in a super bad game at like 65 percent off there's like there's not there's rarely anything in between i think game nerds has had a lot of daily deals and those have been very good. But Miniature Market took away their daily deals. Cool Stuff Inc. is not the Cool Stuff Inc. it once was. I used to be like, Miniature Market, Cool Stuff Inc., Miniature Market, Cool Stuff Inc. And now it's just like, 
I rarely see things on, which I'm kind of bummed about. But yeah, I think, you know, now is the season. Even Amazon, unfortunately, has a lot of decent sales. I think Ticket to Ride Europe, the anniversary edition, was up there for like half price. Hmm. So I was like, oh, no, I don't think I need that. (laughs) (laughs) But if it had been 75% off, you'd have that. (laughs) I would have that. But yeah, it kind of spoils you because you're used to those kind of like extreme sales that now when you see things for like 35% off, you'll just like balk at it. You're like, nah, not going to buy for 35%. If I could get it for 50, like 50 is the new... 35%. 35%. Like if it's if it's 50%, I'll pull the trigger, but that's about it. And it's funny too, because Anthony, you remember all the days when like Queen games would go up on sale for like seven or f- seven or twelve bucks? Yeah. <laughs> like on Amazon. And then yeah. what was it? Fantasy Flight used to do their own sale where they would just like dump all their games and like it was just crazy. Yeah. That's how I got all my Battle Lore stuff. Like one of those years when they were dumping stuff. That's crazy. I got all the expansions I didn't have for like maybe $40 total. It was That's crazy. crazy. I still can't Giant box showed up like a week before Christmas. And my wife's wow. like, oh, is it a Christmas present? So I'm like, no, it's like 30 games from Fantasy. Oh, Fortnite. my God. Yeah, I I could not. I, I missed that sale. So I was really bummed out about that. But yeah, they yeah, a lot of changes, a lot of changes with sales. But if you could hit up any great sales, obviously hit up our website and let people know. All right, Anthony, that's everything that's hitting our listeners. Let's talk about the games that we want to be on sale. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right, so I got a a simple one for you all uh, this week. It is a Kickstarter that's running right now um, called American Bookshop Cinderella's Dance. Uh, These are actually two different games. They just kind of mashed them together in the title. And uh, they come from Twins Lion Doe, um, which is a bookstore in japan um so the designer of these games has several other games that have been released uh over the years most of them trick-taking games so masked men uh from oink games is probably the most famous of those games because that's one that's been out and we could get here in north america um ghosts of christmas was just on kickstarter recently which is a remake of another game which the name of which i forgot but i've played and it's fantastic it has trick-taking basically in three different time periods so you're playing tricks to three different hands at a time. Um, Very, very good. So uh, these games by Taiki Shinzawa uh, are just, they're they're great trick-taking games are generally hard to find. So when they go up on Kickstarter like this, fantastic opportunity to get them uh, because they don't otherwise come to the States except for Masked Men. Um, So specifically American Bookshop um, and Cinderella's Dance looks very interesting as well, but, uh, and that's a two-player trick-taking game, which, it's pretty rare, other than like Fox in the Forest. Not many games try to do that. But American Bookshop looks very interesting to me, so it's probably why I'm going to back this. Um, it comes in a little case that opens and closes like a book. Uh, the story of it being that the designer worked at a bookstore and the his boss took away his cards because he was too busy playing cards instead of working. So he made a game where he could hide it inside of a little book that closed up. Um, and, and it's... You're, fairly typical trick-taking game there's nothing terribly different about it um there are no trump cards there is no bidding but there is a bust element so what that means is you're going to do what you normally do in a trick-taking game meaning somebody will play a card and everybody has to follow that suit if they have cards of the same suit so if somebody plays a green card everybody else has to play a green card unless they do not have a green card and again no trump suits or special cards you just have to do it um 
the thing that makes this game a little bit different is that you are adding up the score as you go. So if everybody plays their cards and it's less than 16 total, then the highest card played wins the trick. Normal stuff. However, if somebody plays a card that breaks 16, reaches or breaks it, then they have busted on the trick and then they will win it uh, and take those cards. And so that it's a little bit different. Some games do that, but it's not as common uh, of, of a tactic. In terms of scoring, you're going to score based on all the cards that you end up in front of you. So you want to win tricks in this game. The twist, of course, being, and this is, again, not something that other games don't do, but in this particular combination is very interesting. The total of all your cards, um, the highest number of cards alone, gets you extra points. Everybody else gets negative points. So if you do really well, but don't do quite well enough, oops, (laughs) now you have a bunch of negative points. So um, those are always a little bit rough, but it can also be very interesting. I like games where sometimes you want to lose tricks. It's one of the reasons I like Skull King so much is or any really any of the bidding games is that you try to lose. So every single hand you play, you can play to whatever your strategy is, whether you're trying to win more or lose more or whatever it is. It's not just like, I want to win every trick and ah, my hand stinks. And so I'm just going to not play this round because it's no fun. Um, Cards are very pretty. Uh, The theme of it is uh, various famous books. So kind of random famous books, but there's Don Quixote, The Old Man in the Sea, In Search of Lost Time, and Night on the Galactic Railroad are the four books that the suits in the game represent. And yeah, it's like a cute little small box game. Um, I think it's 20 bucks. And, uh, you know, who knows what the shipping is because you never know. But uh, yeah, I'll probably back these and, it, you know, just be a fun little quick games to add to the uh, trick taking my growing trick-taking collection who knew right yeah so currently and again by the time this comes out probably a little bit late for this but if you could hear my voice from this distance it's about 29 dollars us obviously as anthony said shipping is a little bit of a different thing um but there is a limited supply whether it's the early bird or the special set but about 29 to 31 dollars currently if you'd like to pick those up and there's about two, three weeks left. So yeah, um, should, should have ample time to get in on this and, and don't be put off. Like if you go to the page, there's a lot of Japanese on the page, but all the Japanese is translated to English. So mm-hmm. don't, don't just look at the top of the page and say, I can't read this and bounce off. <laughs> Keep scrolling. The English is below it. <laughs> so. Gotcha. All right. So I have a little kind of, I guess, deck builder, supposedly. This is, Again, this is one of the weirder named games. This is Mind Bug First Contact, the evolution of dueling card games co-designed by Richard Garfield. I actually don't see where Richard Garfield is in as one of the designers, but he is listed on the page. So what's interesting about this is this is currently on Kickstarter, and it's yet another one of these little battle kind of deck games. Like right recently I talked about Clash of Decks, which I backed, I got the initial kind of starter deck for free and then $2 shipping. And then recently I backed the second Kickstarter with all of its stuff. Uh, You know, these games are kind of hit and miss. It depends on what you like and depends on who's playing with it. Mindbug uh, currently is running. It's already way over its goal. It's about $145,000 and it will uh, back on Saturday, December 11th. So you still have time to pick this one up as well. 
And basically what we're looking at here is, again, the evolution of, of you know, Richard Garfield's thinking here, which is a CCG model without being CCG. And by that, it's all about having this one deck and being able to play a two-player game from it. So basically, it's a very easy-to-play strategy card game. It's very simple rules, very easy to play. You just shuffle the deck, and then you're going to give out cards to you and your opponent. And in with those five starting cards, you're also going to receive two Mind Bugs. That's the name of the game here. The two Mind Bugs are interesting because what they allow you to do is, as your opponent plays cards... You can discard one of your mind bugs to show that you have now taken control over one of their cards. This is done so that you can, I guess, mitigate the situation of someone just getting a better hand than you. Uh, but obviously, you only have two, and so does your opponent. So again, it's when do you play those cards to obviously negate some of their actions. The game itself is all about attacking the other player. They have like three hit points. If you hit them three times, you win the game. But throughout the game, your creatures will be attacking other creatures. And obviously, whoever has the highest number uh, wins that battle. So there's no cost. There's no mana. There's no gold cost to play the cards out there. You just play the cards out. Unless on the bottom, there is text. And there's typically always text on these creatures. These creatures do a number of different things in the game that will obviously change the situations in play. So it could knock out other cards. It could be poisonous. It could allow you to play cards from your discard pile. And again, the mind bugs come into play because it allows you to kind of flip a strategy against your opponent. So basically, whoever takes three hits first gets knocked out. And that's primarily the game. I mean, this is really a game that you can learn in like, 30 seconds or so the text is pretty clear the artwork is pretty cute adorable cartoony artwork definitely something you could play with little kids and again it's another little ccg without being a ccg because i think garfield has been burnt out with the ccg model and all the secondary markets so if you're looking for a little kind of deck game uh, this is available right now on Kickstarter. You're talking about about $17 for the deck. It's kind of worth it, I guess, again, if you like this idea. And you could play typically a two-player, but you could actually kind of build ways here in the game to actually play up to four players in this game. So that is Mindbug on Kickstarter. Check it out. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm all about this ongoing experiment of Richard Garfield to solve the magic problem that he hasn't solved solve, solve the problem he created is what you're saying um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's his it's his great regret in life i think he's he's unleashed us on the world and now he's spending his life trying to recoup from all the all the things that he did so yeah and all the money he's made from it. he's like you know that model that made me all the monies and made me world famous and made you know my creation lasts for lifetimes yeah let's not do that anymore so <laughs> the irony of it all yeah good. it turns out all right so that's everything for our acquisition disorders now on to our at the table we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should buy them if those games are a play you should play them a game so they're dodge and you should dodge them or if those games are the actual in fact burn and like richard garfield you'll never go back to them again so anthony what do you have up first this week all right, I got to the table uh, Juicy Fruits from uh -huh. Deep Print Games slash Capstone Games, designed by mm -hmm. Christian Stior. And this is a, uh, I'd say almost said quick, but relatively quick, uh, 
little puzzle family game in which you are collecting different types of fruit and then using them to upgrade your island and ultimately score points. So you start the game with a tableau in front of you. Uh, with a, There's a three by three grid and five um, different types of fruit tiles. And then surrounding that grid, you have, oh, I guess, 12, I think 12 different boats that you're trying to fill up, right? And so on your turn, what you're going to do is you're going to slide one of those tokens around and then however many spaces that token moves, you collect that many of that type of fruit. So at the beginning of the game, that first action, you can just get one fruit. The second action, you could theoretically get two. But you really can't unlock maximum potential of getting fruit until you ship stuff out. You get those boats off of your board, and it opens up new squares that allow your tiles to move further. Um, you don't have to ship uh, when you get enough of those fruits. You can also go and buy... Uh, additional tiles and these tiles will let you either open new businesses on your island upgrade the tiles that you have or get into the ice cream game <laughs> with um, a different type of tile that slides around and lets you generate different I, I forget what they call it but essentially the number of times you move that is how many times you can purchase ice cream which is worth a bunch of points um and that's pretty much it. You're moving these tiles around, you're collecting different types of fruit, and you are turning that fruit into points by shipping it out or bringing new buildings in. Um, there are some special types of buildings as well that are just worth a bunch of points. These will take up space on your board, though. So, like, there's one that's worth 20 points, which is fantastic, but it takes up a big two-by-two two space on your board, which is less space for you to move your tiles around. So you don't want to take it too early in the game, but if you wait too long, someone else might grab it from under you. Uh, it becomes kind of a press your luck of when you want to take it. Um, the solo mode in the game is unique. Uh, it has a, a separate side and like the movements and the way you interact with the game is different. I haven't really spent enough time with that to like speak to how well it works. I enjoyed it fine. It felt like the game, but you know, I need to get back to it because it wasn't overwhelming <laughs> in my first play. Um, but the plays I've had of this both, you know, with my partner and with my kids um, have been good. It's not the best of this type of game I've ever played. Um, and the reason for that is this. It comes across almost more complicated than it actually is. Like everything I just described to you is how you play the game. You slide a thing, you get some fruit, you buy something, right? But there's so many bits in front of you, like the table presence is large enough and there's enough different types of things you have to do and the randomness of which tiles are available from the market to purchase and their cost is kind of random because they're randomly placed on those different rows. It was just confusing. My kids kept asking, like, well, why is this one five and this one's three? And I'm like, because that's where they went. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's how the market was seated. It doesn't mean that the five is better than the three. It just means that's what it costs. Um, and so there's stuff like that, that it, it's kind of funny sometimes playing these games with children because they'll call stuff out. And you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't really make sense. Oh, well, that's the rule. You know, that's just how we're going to play it. Um, in terms of a puzzle, it's interesting. Uh, you do spend a lot of time just sliding tiles back and forth because you could just be like, I want 10 banana. I'm just going to slide this thing back and forth three times on my turns and just get more bananas. And there will certainly be a lot of turns in the game where all you do is slide and take fruit and you don't really do anything else, which can be frustrating because you want to always be doing stuff. The boats you get on your island is also random. So some people might have a bunch of really cheap boats that you can get off the island with one or two fruit each, which opens up the space on your island sooner and allows you to get more points later in the game. Other people might have a bunch of really expensive boats. 
that are worth a bunch more points on their own, but it's harder to build up the fruit you need to complete them. I don't know how that all balances out. We didn't really have a problem with it, but I could see it becoming an issue if someone really gets, you know, dinged hard or benefits from better boats than everybody else. So for now, it's a play, like a soft play. People like it. I don't think everybody was overly enthused because, again, there were a lot of those like, why is it this way? And it's like, you know, it's that way, probably because mathematically it needs to be that way. And it doesn't really make sense in terms of the mechanics or flow of the game. Um, This could have been like thematically, this could have been anything. It's pretty. It's cool. You get a bunch of little wood fruit tokens, which is fantastic. Uh, You don't get a lot of games that are just like all fruit, (laughs) you know, like agricultural type of games. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, It's very bright and colorful. The cover is really nice and it's great, great working with all this stuff. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of fun in like an aggregate way. So I'm going to hold on to it for now. We'll play it a few more times. We'll see how it goes. Uh, There's a chance it doesn't necessarily, you know, pan out in the long term. But for now, it's, it's a play. We'll keep playing it. Juicy Fruits. Nice. This is a game that I, I think added to my acquisition disorder a while back. It just looked like it had that kind of adaptive quality to play with a lot of different people and obviously play with family members at the table. Um, and again, Capstone does a really good do- job with their production. So yeah, I'm looking forward to playing this as well. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Production-wise, top-notch. There's, I have no qualms with the production at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, And yeah, like teaching very quick as well like that's always like a huge one for me with the family with the kids if i can teach the game in less than 10 minutes when they're not paying attention perfect it hits the sweet spot on that front nice all right so that's everything that's hitting our table now on to our feature review so our feature review this week is talking about higher education games by majors so a lot of my work and a lot of anthony's work is working in higher education so over the last oof, 20 plus years, I've been working in higher education in a lot of different areas. I've taught classes, I've worked in student services, I worked in academic affairs, and I've taken a lot of my own particular degrees, my master's and my doctorate, uh, along with the idea of real development of pedagogy and development of students as far as their particular career interests, their vocations. And my main role has been as a director of career development services at multiple colleges and universities. So the idea of utilizing board games in that kind of developmental model, because again, a lot of what we do as human beings is play. Now, work is a version of play. It's a more serious situation. It's a more dynamic situation. It's sometimes a life and death situation. But primarily, games gives us an insight into who we are and what decisions we would like to make and what conversations we might like to have. So we put together a rather dynamic list of some of the best board games that fit some of the majors that are in a lot of the colleges and universities. So whether or not you've gone off to college or university, you may want to take a look at some of these games and investigate based upon that game if that particular field of interest is something that's dynamic and interesting and really connects with you because you might have a future in that particular field. But from a career development perspective, 
that is really essentially what we try to help students do. But there's much more to that than just as far as career development and student development is concerned. So Anthony, you take games and you do something also with them as far as education development, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the goal. Um, <laughs> I, I currently teach English composition. Uh, so I'm building a course at the moment in an English composition course around games. It's like the whole sure. point of, you know, the, the theme of the course and the design of the course will be students playing games and discussing them and analyzing them as texts. So like the whole idea that a game is a plaything or a toy, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of dated, right? Like, Games and the idea of play predate language. They predate any other form of like recorded interaction that we have as a species. And so I think it's worth discussing and evaluating A, why, and B, how, right? And there's so many interesting things you can do with a game um, in all these different majors. Like I look at it from a, you know, a writing and rhetoric perspective, but that kind of crosses over into almost any field. Like what is the story this game is trying to tell what role do the players have in telling that story and how does it reflect the real world and i think that's that's where the list really comes in handy for people like looking at these different possible areas they could look at all right so this is just the first of what will soon to be and certainly to be an ongoing topic of development as we move forward. So, Anthony, why don't you lead us through the different majors, and I'll respond to those with particular games that probably do match up quite well with those particular fields and uh, industries. All right, let's kick it off uh, with accounting. What do you got for accounting? Well, <laughs> there's, for accounting. <laughs> there's a lot of money management games out there, but I think the one that really stands above them and one of the classic board games of all time is Acquire the opportunity to leverage the market to benefit you, I think is a different aspect and skill that uh, accounting majors do need when they look at how the market's going and how they can best serve their clients. Yeah, fantastic. Um, what about anthropology? So anthropology is fun too, because we do see that in a lot of games, but probably the best game that gives you that kind of tactile feel and engagement would be Thebes. This is actually, in fact, where you are journeying to the desert and actually have a bag mechanic where you're actually trying to pull out the archaeological artifacts that you're trying to search for. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that, that would be great. Um, here's one that I know you have a few for because there's got to be a bunch, right? Art. All the art uh, majors out there, what do they be playing? Now, there's a lot of games where you actually are doing the art. These games are a little bit more dynamic as far as creation is concerned. So Canvas, mm. you're putting those kind of slips together to actually make a work of art and, and score points. A Fake Artist Goes to New York is a fun little oink game that you can kind of play at the table. And Pastiche, I mean, again, taking a look at some of those fine works of art and how they kind of work together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what about the flip side of art? Not the flip side, I guess it's very tangential, but <laughs> the study of the history of art, art history, what do we got? Yeah, one of the most dynamic areas of board gaming is obviously history. So uh, when our, a lot of artists kind of develop their, you know, their artistic traits in a lot of different mediums, what happens then, right? How is it, you know, thought about historically? How is it kind of uh, thought from a larger context? So we would probably take a look at the gallerist, which is all about selling these fine works of modern art, 
stained glass of Sinatra, right? Obviously these beautiful works of art that are put together and fresco, the idea of putting together one of the wondrous frescoes and how the artist goes about it in that particular time period. I think that's essential to this work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I could think of like a dozen more for that one too. Oh, like there are so many so games many. about the history of art being made. That'd be a fun Yeah, I think it's one of the most flushed out majors in board games. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to uh, the other side of the campus on the science wing, uh, <laughs> biology. So biology, again, another broad area, a lot of ways to take a look at it. Dominant species as a game, in fact, where it's all about understanding your species development and survival in, you know, ecological, you know, strange times where your species is evolving. A cytosis, a cell biology board game, obviously, if you want to kind of go at the microbiological level to take a look at how cells operate. Genotype, a Mendelian genetics game I recently reviewed all about those little easy TTP plants that we heard about in school and how that little interesting square determines dominant and recessive traits. All right. Um, so... <laughs> I don't know about this list, man, because I don't think I want to be a business major, but these games sound pretty good <laughs> for the business majors. What do you got? Yeah. So business majors, obviously, we want to do something really dynamic for them. We want to kind of put them in a crunchy way. Business majors do learn specific traits and skills about how their work comes about. So we have to take it to a higher level. So we're talking some food chain magnet, obviously managing supply chain, managing delivery chains, managing you know, accounts, but also managing HR. What employees do you put out? Who do you hire? Who do you fire? You also want to take a look at Kanban EV, right? It's all about green tech and how you put those cars together. And obviously, if you want to go back a little bit in time, but really strong business games, Nippon, about the industrial, you know, age in Japan, and obviously City of, City of the Big Shoulders, talking about the United States and its early economic and industrial era, and how those different companies came to be and how those supply chain managements um, determine their future. And actually, it uses a lot of real companies, so it's fantastic. Yeah, City of the Big Shoulders would be a great one, uh, especially like in combination with Food Chain Magnet, where they're all made-up companies, but the mechanics are so much more in-depth. That's a good list. True. Uh, what about chemistry? Back to the science wing. Yeah, chemistry is a little tough. Obviously, there are some like hard science games, and we want to give you games that are more of a mass market fun kind of games, but compounded is really the nice sweet spot here because you are really engaging with, with chemical principles, but also you're, play, you're engaging with some nice fun gameplay. All right, um, and then Chinese studies. Ooh, there are so many great games in Chinese studies. There's a lot of great board games for this. And again, there's so many different ways to look at this. One of the most recent games is Gugan, all about how this the economic market developed in ancient China, about how uh, favors were traded for economic development and riches. And I think that's another interesting take. A lot of great games in this market, but Gugan's the newest and probably the most dynamic one. All right. Um, so this one's a little bit more up my alley, and I've Thank been you. thinking about this myself. Yeah. Uh, creative writing. What do you got? Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about this. Obviously, board games don't have a lot of writing in them, but Rory Stories Cubes, Anthony, I think that's one that you and I have agreed on. I have a copy from way back when. And again, it's the idea of developing those story ideas. There's a lot of games in creative writing as far as playing cards to put together a story. And this is one of the most abstract, but the one of the most fun and easy to get to play with any age because you roll those dice, you get those symbols, and you put together a story. 
Yeah, yeah. I love the idea of forcing, not forcing, but encouraging people <laughs> to think creatively with the tools they're given. That's a huge yeah. thing in creative writing. People think, blue sky, I have to write about whatever comes in my mind. And like, no, you need restrictions. And Rory Story Cubes is literally restrictions. You get five pictures, make up a story. So that's a good one. All right, next up, economics. Again, like business, we want to take a look at money, how you borrow, how you spend, how you go in debt, and how you manage the market and supply chain. So first off, let's talk supply chain. Villagers. Villagers is a little tiny kind of card game about those kind of middle ages where it's all about producing products and sustainable farming. But again, it has a very unique game state style where you do have to have the prerequisites in order to create supply. On top of which, if you want to go more modern ever, you want to really take a look at Smartphone Inc. Smartphone Inc. again is about the, uh, the economic engine and delivering smartphones around the world. And finally, one of the best games that's out there currently, Brass Birmingham. Mm. Uh, one of the most interesting things about economics that I didn't know about when I got into it was it's not really about the money that you can make from selling a direct product, but how your services are utilized by other people. So yes, they'll be making money, but so will you. Yeah, that's a fantastic uh, thought on that. Because yeah, people always think economics, they think money, but it's not necessarily money. It's like the flow of goods and ideas. It's true. Um, engineering physics. That's a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the really interesting things that are going on today is green technology, solar, wind, um, biotherapy. I mean, there's just so many things going on right now. Nuclear power, transforming the you know the energy grid and everything else the manhattan project energy empire is one of these unsung games it's all about choosing what you bring in to to kind of supply power sometimes it's dirty power but maybe sometimes you need that early on and then eventually clean power or maybe you even risk it with nuclear power each of these mm -hmm. countries are in play you roll the dice and just like everybody else does and see what you get yeah, such a good game, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's worth the major alone. Um, it is. All right, so kind of tangential to that, and kind of moving off of the whole idea of like uh, green energy development, is environmental studies and sustainability, so kind of at a more macro level. Yeah, so there's history, there's art, and then there's environmental studies that have done great. So wingspan, obviously learning about the birds and their environment. Parks, obviously learning about all the great natural parks. CO2, second chance, learning how different countries and organizations work together to better the earth in light of climate change. Photosynthesis, learning about how all the trees manage a forest together. A forest is a living organism of a number of different organisms. So it's what a vast, interesting idea about how trees grow. It's very dynamic. Um, obviously Mariposa, all about those butterflies and how they travel and how they develop throughout their journey. And finally, one of the great games out there that you probably have not played, Rescue Polar Bears, Data and Temperature. Adorable as all get out, but as scientific and as fun as all get out. Definitely something you should pick up. And one last one, Anthony, for our part one of part two parts of this, because there are so many great majors and so many great games out there, is obviously in line with the environmental studies, but probably forestry. So those who are interested in like just learning about the forest, trekking the national park, second edition, is really a great game for this. So there you go. Uh, 
part one of our two-part dive into majors in the university. There's so many great things. I don't want to get into history yet because history is going to be the largest category possible. Yeah. But we <laughs> wanted to it. take a – yeah, one of the steps that we wanted to talk about and then we can kind of loop back around and talk about some of the other great games that you should absolutely positively get to the table because whether you are a college or high school student or you know somebody – or if you're looking into developing some of those skills, abilities, and letting you know if that's a particular field of interest for you, these are fantastic games to get started. But until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the university. Take care, everyone. Bye.